I'm double fisting drinks to get through this episode. <laughs> it's a look. Oh, is it that? Is it that much of a? <laughs> one one of them's a look for you. <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to spooky popular media. I am one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and it's Halloween season, so uh, it's all very spooky here. Um, also, and more importantly, it is decorative gourd season, so uh, that is the best kind of season. With me, as always, is my co-host... Uh, Martha Sullivan, and a quick note about decorative gourd season. I just found out that I can feed mini pumpkins to my guinea pigs. They Ooh. won't sit still long enough for me to put hats on them, but they will eat <laughs> tiny pumpkins. <laughs> um, so that will be the theme of my Halloween pet photos. <laughs> I'm picturing them eating the little candy corn pumpkins, which would probably kill them with diabetes. Yes, instantly. Yeah, cool. Um, <laughs> Considering that baby carrots have really too much sugar in them for them to eat many of those all in one uh, sitting. But no, just like the tiny the tiny pumpkins that you put in the middle of your table as a centerpiece. Yeah, as part of decor decorative cord season. Yes. Great. Uh, and joining us this week is uh, my friend and uh, teacher Michelle Patton. Hi. Ruin um, something. Michelle. I don't know what you're doing I'm these Michelle. days. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, I'm Michelle. I am a first and second grade teacher. That's my background in education. Um, uh, pertaining to decorative gourd season, we actually did a pumpkin raffle with elementary schoolers as our little like behavior incentive for the month. The funny thing is though, all the small, like cute little ones that like the ones that you were talking about, Martha, they all got completely taken already or they were mushy at the pumpkin patch. So we gave no. these like tiny little humans these giant pumpkins <laughs> which at one point we were like well no it'll be fine their parents will help them and then we realized wait a minute this is oh that's great new that's light to the meaning it's the great pumpkin charlie brown it was adorable and funny all at the same time fantastic uh well thanks for being on the podcast um Today is our uh, Halloween Spooktacular episode. This episode is dropping on Halloween itself, and we're talking horror. But before we get into that, um, as always, we're going to go around and just talk about what is stuck in our head this week. You're going to detect two themes. Uh, one is Netflix, and the other is it's Halloween season, so um, it's all horror-related say... anyway. I like the part where you said before we get into horror, like we're not about to talk about scary stuff yeah, just exactly. instantly. Exactly. Um, Martha, no, Michelle, let's start with you since you are both our guests and don't have a horror-related thing. Um, but I do, because what's more terrifying in today's current political climate than just commenting on the news? That is true. Um, so my piece of media that stuck in my head this week, um, this morning, well, we're recording this on Sunday and Hassan Minaj, who was on the daily show for a while, he did, uh, the white house correspondence dinner, I think this last year. Um, but he's a, right. he's a, he's a comedian. Um, and he has a new show on Netflix. That's kind of like a, it's kind of like a daily show meets variety. I'm not even a variety show, kind of like stand up. The best I can compare it to is if you've ever seen Samantha Bee's mm. show, um, where she just talks in front of a screen. That's what he's doing. Um, and the first two episodes were on Netflix this morning. I watched them and I just love, 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 love them. I think it's, I think he has a very refreshing way of reporting on this dealing kind of, with the uh, dumpster fire dealing with the dumpster fire that is our political climate um he is a indie like indian american um born in the united states i think now i'm probably gonna be wrong about that but to indian parents 
and then um, also pra uh, practicing Muslim. So he approaches like his commentary from those kind of identities. And it's something that I think I haven't heard about often in the news. And he also just has a very like charismatic way of commenting on it. It's kind of like, I don't know, it's, it's similar to what like a John Oliver or like a Trevor Noah on The Daily Show. It's that kind of brand, but I just think he's got a different perspective on it. So I think people should check it out. It's really fun. Cool. Uh, I can confirm that he was born in the U.S. and his parents are from uh, India. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thanks, Wikipedia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Martha, how about you? What's stuck in your head this week? Uh, so I paused the ninth episode of the new Netflix show, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, so that I could come and record this episode. Um, it is loosely based on the alternate universe uh, Sabrina comic, um, which reimagines uh, the Archie uh, character, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, in a much more literal horror uh, environment. Uh, and the Netflix show is really, um, you really, it, I feel like Archie Comics has a certain tone that's implied with it, regardless of which property you're talking about. And even the, like, classic Sabrina the Teenage Witch comics were still pretty cute and, like, you know, 50s kitschy kind of style. And yeah, she Chilling had a talking Avengers cat. Yes, um, and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is just straight, we're Satanists, um, like literal signing uh, signing your name away to the devil kind of witches. It's not charming, it's not cute, it is, you know, gross and bloody and cannibalistic and scary, and the Netflix show is wonderful. Uh, Kiernan Shipka from Mad Men plays Sabrina, and uh, Eowyn from... The Lord of the Rings movies plays oh. her Aunt Zelda. Oh, and Etta Candy from Wonder Woman plays her Aunt Hilda. And just, they are all very charming and delightful and also, like, participate in satanic rituals. So <laughs> I'm enjoying it quite a lot. It is, uh, it is interestingly about female rage in a way that appeals to me right now. There's a lot of smashing the patriarchy and we can't trust this world ruled by men uh happening um and also sometimes people come back to life and are zombies so it's it's scratching uh scratching that itch for me right now hmm. cool that is on my short list of things to be watching as well the Mine comic too. is also super fun, um, if you guys have a chance to read it. Uh, volume 2 has been scheduled for, like, three years now, but the, the first volume is out and really delightful. Uh, and intersects pretty interestingly with the Afterlife with Archie um, Was alternate that universe. Was Chip Zdarsky involved in any of those? Chip Zdarsky wrote Jughead. Jughead, that's what he did. Uh, so Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, I'm probably butchering the name of that, or the pronunciation of that, wrote Afterlife with Archie, and he wrote Ch The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and he's also been showrunning Riverdale, mm. uh, and he is the showrunner for Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So he is uh, one of the people at Archie Comics that has been kind of at the forefront in the new direction that they've let the comics take in the last few years. Um, I don't mean this negatively, but the CWing of Archie. Yes. No, and, I mean, Riverdale is bananas, but I also find it highly enjoyable. Um, oh, it's the yeah, right so the bananas. It's so fun. He, yeah, he has let people kind of play in this Archie universe in a way that I have found very interesting. Um, yeah, and so Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is... He not only wrote the original source material, but he is, I believe, either the producer or the showrunner on the Netflix show. Cool. Um, well, what's stuck in my head, Martha, you and I have very similar uh, Sunday nights, I guess, because I just had to pause the fifth episode of The Haunting of Hill House to come and record with you guys. Um, yes! So I'm, I've spent all day 
all, all afternoon watching um, The Haunting of Hill House at this point, and it's really good, but I had to get into it. Uh, the creepiness in the first episode was enough to, like, keep me going, but it it was directed and staged in very, like, mannered way. Nobody really, like, acted like a real person. I think that's sort of more the script than anything else. So the first episode, I wasn't sure if I was enjoying it, but once I allowed that that's what this show was doing and it was telling something like a story sort of around those or using those, uh, I was much more okay with it and I've been enjoying it uh, since I let my hangups go away. Um, also doing a quick wiki tells me that the uh, the creator, Mike Flanagan, wrote the first two episodes, which I thought were a little stilted, but then didn't write the rest, which I've enjoyed a lot more. So uh, there we go. Um, and Haunting of Hill House is very loosely adapted on the Shirley Jackson book, uh, horror book. Say, say inspired Inspi- by. <laughs> shares the same title with, um, <laughs> is kind of as close as it'll go. Um, good creepy family drama meets horror. Martha, I know you've watched a lot more of it than I have. I'm obsessed with it. Um, <laughs> I... It is very good. It has a lot of problems. Um, I think the finale drops the ball in kind of a major way. Uh, and Steve is the worst. Um, but I found the I found the spook factor to be very effective. Very, it touched oh on. Oh my god, yes. We will we will get into this more in the episode proper, but it it definitely makes use of some like of my main horror. Not I don't want to use the word triggers because that. Um, devalues what that word means but it definitely makes use of some of my like number one fear things that like tropes that pop up in horror Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the boxes if you will (laughs) no that's fine Uh, and I think the cast is great yes yes I'm so glad to see Timothy Hutton and Carla Gugino acting in something uh there are no more velvet robes in all of Hollywood because Carla has used them all. <laughs> I I have been noticing that she is wearing <laughs> fairly ridiculous costumes. My um, my personal headcanon is that those are all hers that she just brought to the set and was like, this is what I'm wearing. <laughs> nice. Uh, Michelle, you haven't seen this yet, right? No, I haven't. It's also on my short list. Yeah. I'm, I'll get to it eventually. <laughs> But I've heard I'm a, really, really good things, and it's kind of like one of those I wish I could stop time and just watch a whole bunch a, of things that are coming out. I'm a huge fan of using family tragedy and family drama as a vehicle for horror storytelling. Um, so it's, like, directly up my alley. <laughs> Somebody made it in a lab for you, uh, and then threw, like, sort creepy of. Japanese ghost creatures in there, too. Uh, they're not, I mean, they're not really on the same level as the Japanese ghosts. No, but... no, no, no. They're a little grudge-like, though. Um, well, cool. We're going to take a short break now, and when we come back, we will keep talking about horror, because it's the spooktacular episode, uh, but this time we're going to actually talk about our various homework assignments, rather than just what we're currently watching. Uh, so, stick with us, we'll be right back. And we're back. So as part of our Halloween Spooktacular episode, we are talking about horror this week. Um, We're going to be talking about what we personally find scary and whether that has changed uh, in in our lives as we have grown as people. Uh, And we're also going to be looking at what pop culture thinks is scary and whether and how much that has changed, um, you know, across time. And finally, we're going to talk about, like, why we like being scared. Why is it fun to go on ghost tours and haunted houses and watch, um, you know, 
uh, scary movies and whatnot. So um, we're going to start with sort of the most meta of the homework assignments, the one that sort of drills down into horror as a genre more than any of the others. Uh, Michelle, you assigned an episode of Community, which was an excellent moment of levity in the other two homework assignments. Um, tell us a little about it and why you assigned it. Okay, um, so Community is uh, Dan Harmon's show that was on NBC for a while. It follows a group of uh, community college individuals who are in a study group, and then their various antics at their community college, Greendale. Um, this was the third season, episode five episode where one of the characters who's taking a psychology class um previously gave a some sort of a test to determine if somebody was kind of i i think it was like a personality test as they say it in the show but it determined that one member of the group is a psychopath and she's trying to fit she and another character um are trying to figure out which character is the psychopath and the way they decide to do that is by having by telling scary stories and then gauging <laughs> the other reactions for it in true comedy fashion antics ensue and the structure of this uh tv show basically is each one of the seven members of the study group tells their version of a quote scary story and they like make fun of some typical tropes that they have the um the one, one in particular was a one of the characters had like a very human centipede-esque arc that happened um as they were telling their scary story another one went down the line of having um like vampires it was like a vampire gothic thing with a twist at the end and <laughs> yeah the <laughs> reason i <laughs> As you're, as you're describing them, I'm like, oh, yeah, that one, and I'm laughing at it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then as, as the, like, narrative keeps going on, then it starts becoming much more personal. Like, the very, um, the born-again Christian character has, I think that's my favorite one. It's the rapture storyline where the whole group is basically having some raucous party, and then she is, or, and then the devil comes to you know, essentially take them away because all the good Christians were raptured and that was the born again Christian character and she appears and they kind of they say like, Oh well can you help us? And she says like, No, but I forgive you. <laughs> I just I think it's just hilarious. Um yeah. So the reason I assigned it is because it kind of I thought it went along those themes of like what are some typical tropes that we see in scary movies like the the bad guy with the hook for a hand the um the <laughs> you mean the bad guy with the thing okay. on his hand i don't know it looks something like a hook or something yep yep i think that's what they say <laughs> yeah definitely a hook on his hand um the other trope was that i feel like we see all too often in horror movies is you turn on a radio or a tv and then that's like an important plot device and one of the characters the very like rational character um i think it's abed is like that would never happen it would be a in real life it would be a song or something and then like 10 minutes later <laughs> the plot device would happen yeah i I, re I really like this as um <laughs> as this assignment because it, it as you said, it captures so many of the larger tropes um, very succinctly, almost like Cabin in the Woods, but even more so. Uh, it's also a really interesting, like, snapshot of horror through the ages. Like, you have that very 90s urban legend-based horror, and you have that very 2000, uh, 2000s horror porn uh, image, and the sort of gothic... Uh, monster romance uh story it was almost i don't think they were in chronological order but they were definitely like a survey of here are the different kinds of horror storytelling that have been popular mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and like the other thing this is a good example that i think horror frequently as a genre doesn't do well um so much of these like the the 
stories in this episode are are a very very intelligently written around their various um uh like the the meta thing that they're critiquing but they're also very character driven um and they sort of show a lot about the character telling that story through it um Abed, who is almost certainly on the spectrum, as you said, has the, no, we're going to wait for 10 minutes for the actual news show to come on on the radio because that's how real life works. And then, um, uh, you know, like Chase, who is the, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Pierce. 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 Chevy Chase. Um, <clears throat> is not really engaged in it at all and is telling his own separate story about how great he is because that's the kind of person he is. Um, so it's, it's, it's very good character work as well. Pete, I I would like to take issue with something you just said. You said that you don't think horror does character driven stories very well. I, I should say that so much generic horror does not care about its, its characters. Good horror obviously does. I was going to say, I would say of the stuff that we have already talked about, I think Hill House is very character driven. I think the other two pieces of homework that we're about to talk about yeah, are yeah, extremely character-driven. <laughs> very character-driven. I, I was thinking that as I was saying it. Like, we also picked good examples of horror, though, um, rather than, like, you know, Urban Legend 5, The Relegending, or whatever. You mean, just like every other media genre, there's bad stuff in horror? Gasp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, horror, I think, it has a much... Um, the highs are very high, but there's a lot of dregs. Uh, I think disproportionate to other genres. I disagree. Okay. No, I just I think you get schlock in everything. I, I think um, so too. I think you just get more schlock in horror, but also this isn't something we can like prove. So I'm okay with the disagreement. <laughs> I think a lot of times, much like other genres, when you have really good well-written stories and good fleshed out characters like like any media it just it's so much better i i can think of a lot of bad horror movies that i've seen where it either starts off pretty good and then once the big reveal happens the the guy with the hook hand thingy or whatever then it becomes very like not scary yeah i guess it i think it stands out a little, little bit more sometimes in the horror genre but that being said when you have something that is truly like a something that terrifies the audience or like in the case of a couple of the other one in one particular that I'm thinking of the other assignments that were assigned for this episode um I kind of lost track of where I was going but I think it for horror I think a lot of times the if it's bad it's really bad and if it's good it's really good mm-hmm well, and what I will give you, Pete, is I think that particularly for horror film, like horror TV or horror movies, I think it's really good to, I think it's really easy to do horror cheaply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which agreed. means that it's really easy to do horror quickly. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot more of it. And if you just have a lot more of something, then you're going to end up with a higher percentage of bad. Yeah, yeah, totally. Plus, because it's cheap, you can assign it to entirely newbies, and sometimes you'll strike gold, and sometimes you won't. But it was cheap, so who cares? Right. <laughs> Please see the like multiple various film studios from the fifties through now. Uh, cool. Although, let uh, the I mean, the flip side to that is like Peter Jackson got started making cheap horror, so yeah. even that like... sometimes you strike gold. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Cool. Um, let's go with Martha. What was your homework? I made you guys read a book. (laughs) Uh, so my homework was The Shining by Stephen King. Uh, this book was originally published in 1977. Uh, I read it for the first time when I was 13. Uh, Listeners of the podcast will remember when I was talking about how I was age inappropriate when I read it. Well, I read The Shining pretty much around the same time. Uh, It is the genesis of my I am terrified by things that move when they should not move thing. (laughs) 
The Shining is the story of a family uh, headed by Jack Torrance, who is a recovering alcoholic, uh, and the winter that they spend as the caretakers for an uh, hotel up in the mountains of Colorado called the Overlook Hotel. Uh, Danny Torrance is the young son of Wendy and Jack. He is five going on six when this book happens, and he is uh, psychic, a fact which becomes when the hotel which is super haunted and super evil uh, decides to prey on his father's weaknesses in order to claim Danny for its own uh, the book is sort of the story of a, a the spiral into madness as the hotel gradually drives Jack insane uh, in its quest to consume uh, the family but particularly Danny uh, and how he, as a five-year-old, <laughs> combats <laughs> the forces of evil in this hotel. Um, Pete and I are about to fight about the virtues of the book versus the movie, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I love the movie, and I had not read the book since early high school. C- kind of similar to Martha, like, had that Stephen King phase of, like, 8th through 10th grade. I'm not sure exactly when, but it was in that ballpark. Um, and hadn't, hadn't picked it up since then. But, like, I watched the movie approximately once a year in October because it's, I think, one of the best horror movies ever made. That being said, I really enjoyed the book. Um, definitely did not get as much out of it as I, like, when I read it the first time when I was, like, 14, uh, as I did now. Also, Jack Torrance is my age. That's creepy and terrifying well, in its own way. And like I said at the very beginning of this episode, one of the things I really love in horror stories is telling horror through family dynamics. And I think that this is as much a story about the disintegration of the Torrance family as it is about the hotel haunting them. Um, that said, I do want to kind of defend myself. I don't think the movie is bad. Um, it's not the story that I want to be told by something titled The Shining. Like, the movie and the book, I think, are telling two different stories hung on the same skeleton. And I just like the story that the book is telling more. That's fair. I also, like, the, the movie is so different from the book that I, it's one of those where it's like, I enjoy them both. I understand why Stephen King does not like the movie adaptation, um, I think that if it were called The Shinning and had <laughs> someone named Mac Lawrence as the caretaker, um, Stephen King might be like, this is great horror, but instead they, they took his baby and changed it. Um, Michelle, had you read this book before? I had not read this book before. Um, I have read other Stephen King. Um, he did, now I'm double checking. He did The Green Mile, right? Yeah. Yes. I've read that book. I've read the um, 11, 22, 22. 263. Yeah, I still need to read that. Yeah, which I highly, I think it's a really, really, I don't want to go too far from off topic, but that is a great, great, great book. Like, yes. I recommend that to anybody. I, I think it's, I'm also, I for me, what checks my boxes is like a bit of historical fiction. So that like, I was like, yeah, all about that. <laughs> I, I hadn't read the book book and i'm going to be 100 percent honest i'm about two-thirds through it um Fair. i know that previously knew the differences between the movie and the book endings um i am going to i'm going to echo what you guys were saying that i do agree that it is they are very different door they are similar stories but very different in the sense of what you get out of them yeah i will and say that i, I was think- surprised much i liked the book yeah considering that it is very very not very different but it's just i think the book because it's a book can do more things with the characters than is allowed in a movie mm-hmm. and that's something that i found really really refreshing because i'm going to be honest i hate the the wendy character in the movie with just such a fiery passion i just can't stand it that it almost ruins how good the movie is for me. She has so much agency in this book where she has almost none in the movie. Agreed. 
Uh, also, Stephen King is always really good at internal things. Um, like, I really like the way that he writes thoughts. Um, and, and like mm-hmm. I said, like the internal lives of his characters, uh, which you don't get in Kubrick. Because, <laughs> you know... Because that's because not what he's doing. Kubrick and yeah. he, well, he's Kubricking all over the place. Yeah. And King is so good at illustrating, and I think this is related to what you were just saying, Pete. He is so good at illustrating that descent, that like tight spiral into madness. Mm-hmm. That starts like, totally showing... reasonable, but step by step. Yeah. yeah. And just showing how somebody can become just undone by mm-hmm. their own. Uh, internal weaknesses because i think jack is jack is undone as much by his own like the hotel wouldn't be able to get to him if he didn't have the underlying weaknesses and anger issues Mm -hmm. um and i think the movie necessarily has to speed a lot of that up so like jack is pretty unhinged before they even get to the hotel i mean he's also played by jack nicholson so that guy shows up on screen you're like all right so he crazy (laughs) Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and I also, the hedge animals in the book are seriously one of the most unsettling things I have ever encountered. And they're not in the movie because I, I feel like the effects would have looked terrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the hedge animals moving when you're not looking at them, like even reading that as a fully formed human adult, like made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Uh, so this is where I have to ask you, I know you're not a big Doctor Who fan, but have you seen the episode Blink with the Weeping Angels? Yeah, it did not bother me. Really? I did not understand what the big deal was about that. Huh, because that is, like, exactly what you're describing. I know, it is, and I I don't know, maybe it's just my, like, obstinate refusal to enjoy Doctor Who. (laughs) (laughs) I'm... I like that you brought that up because that's right away what I thought of too when I was reading um, about the the hedge animals is I right away went to like oh it's it's the weeping angels mm-hmm. and the weeping angels terrified me I think I also set myself up for that I watched it on a very like spooky scary thundery night alone when I lived alone probably not <laughs> when you should watch something that's quote unquote scary but well, I'm I'm one, I'm curious <laughs> if if King originated that with these hedge animals or whether that was sort of an older trope um because i had the same thought reading it i'm like oh it's like weeping angels i know how these work i think it is i think it's related to like photographs and things that move when they're not supposed to Mm -hmm. which is a pretty i don't know what the genesis of it is but like that could almost be related back to the portrait of dorian gray Mm, Um, sure and that's another thing, like paintings and photographs that move when they're not supposed to cannot deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm doing a wiki right now of the shiny novel and it's I'm going by like where the heavy influences were. Um, heavy influences include the haunting of Hill House because, of hey, course, great. Because um, <laughs> uh, King Matt- is also King is also all about like a place being like the evilness of a location kind of weird that this was a colorado hotel and not a maine hotel but i guess he has to get out of maine occasionally that's true (laughs) he literally put out a map pointed to some random place and it was boulder colorado huh that and that's why it's set out there like it's he and his I know this because I just was at uh, the Stanley Hotel in. Um, oh, which is what it's where, where they shot uh, The Shining, right? Well, it's what um, inspired him. When yeah. He, he and his wife went on a vacation to this very like old grand hotel in the in the mountains in Colorado, um, and it was just about to be like the end of the season, so they were the only ones staying in the hotel. And he just describes these like very long passageways how kind of creepy it was to be in these big, huge spaces, spaces, which are supposed to have a ton of people in them. And it's just those two and how like kind of unsettling that feeling can be. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, the other thing that I know it appears in the book a couple of times, but I got a lot of very like Edgar Allan Poe, Mask of the Red Death 
vibes. Yes. And when when I read that that was an inspiration, it was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's what I was thinking of as I was reading when the hotel starts to become kind of spooky halfway through. I never read Mask of the Red Death, which I, I know that he references a fair amount in this book. And every time I'm like, eh, OK, I, I get what you're doing, but I don't. You know, I intellectually get it. I don't viscerally get it. You didn't have to do that in AP. No, we did um, the one where English, the where the house whatever. is ahead. Um, Fall yeah. the House of Usher. There we go. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Symbolism. I, I right. pretty much only read the Telltale Heart and the Raven. You did not read House of Usher. Okay, what wait, you... M- M- Michelle, on three, we should say a different Edgar Allan Poe story and just say, like, you haven't read the thing, and then no one can hear what we said. <laughs> I was going to say, I said what I said. I didn't stutter. All <laughs> uh, right. Um, let's move on to my homework before we get into the bigger questions uh, at hand. So I assigned The Exorcist, uh, often listed high on the lists of scariest movies ever made, Um the Exorcist is the story of a actor in the 70s in um, Washington, D.C., whose daughter is possessed by a demon or devil, and the, priest, uh, the, the process that they go through to try to cure her up to eventually uh, bringing some priests in to perform an exorcism. Um, directed by William Friedkin, who also did French Connection and a bunch of movies no one has heard of other than those two, uh, I have to say that I, I chose this because it has that reputation of being, like, the scariest movie ever and for, like, the stories around it being, you know, people throwing up in the movie theater, like, running out of it in, in terror. Um, and I think it's an incredibly well-made film. Um, everyone is bringing their A-game. Friedkin is a really fantastic director. The script is great. Uh, it's not that scary to me. Like, it's it's intense, but I think, that, like, you know, we were talking about The Shining. As a movie, I am more scared of The Shining than I am of The Exorcist. Um, but that that also could just be that, like, times have changed. I sort of knew what I was expecting with The Exorcist when I first saw it. Whereas, like, if I were, a, you know, seeing it in the theaters in, in 73, uh, I wouldn't necessarily. Um, yeah, so thoughts. Have, had you guys seen this before? I have. Um, I've read the book, too. Mm, I haven't. Uh, the, the book is also not something that I would call frightening. Mm-hmm. I think I, I put them both in more, this is really upsetting to watch. Like, it's not scary to me. I'm not, like, I don't leave the theater afraid that I am going to be the victim of demonic possession. Um, but I did find it really upsetting to watch like this little girl go through these horrible, horrible things, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly now. And I don't know if this was part of the intent, um, when the movie was made, but it, I, I was very struck at the beginning how, um, Regan's mother is talking to that doctor who is convinced that it's a mental illness. Yeah. Um, Oh, the, just... the, the, the medical procedures that she undergoes were definitely, like, the most upsetting part of the movie to me. Like, 70s medicine was not great. But, yeah, I'm also, I'm looking up just to see what other movie, like, what other horror film came out. Because the 1970s, I feel, was big on, like, family disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosemary's Baby, maybe? When did that come so that out? Was, that was one of the ones that I wanted to, to check on. Um, because this seems to be very much in line with the general sense, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a bit, but, like, the things that people found, um, scary in the 1970s are not really things that we find scary now, and I think one of those things is, like, my child is not my child. Mm-hmm. That, that whole idea Yeah, the omen, very... I think, was from the 70s. Yeah. Um... So it could just be like, this was the pinnacle of that. Yeah, Rosemary's Baby was 1968. So like, same kind of five year span Mm -hmm. as this. Um, And the omen is 1976. 1976. Yeah. 
And I don't know enough about horror or the 1970s to know what cultural fear this is reflecting. Um, but that does seem to be kind of the taste of the uh, um, genre well, the, at that point. The 70s, you had all, you know, the, the um, protests, social disruption, um you know, 68 was the year of, of assassination. So it was a lot of, like, sense of, like, society crumbling around us. You you have your Nixon silent majority who want their law and order. Um, I was so, going to say, we're a bit out of, like, the 1950s fear of, uh, like... Commies. Fear of dismantling the... I was going to say fear of dismantling the nuclear family, but it does kind of feel like it's related to that. Hmm. But but like Ellen Maybe? Bernstein's character herself is a you know she she's divorced and that's not played like she she's sympathetic she's not you know True. scorned for it's that. It's not it's explicitly not her fault that yeah. her child is going through this stuff. <laughs> yes, literally a demon. Um Michelle, how about you? Had you seen this before? I had seen bits and pieces of it, like the well, and I didn't know the um the infamous scene that I always think of when you think of The Exorcist is the spi- the spider walk. Yeah, scene wasn't in the original. Had no idea hmm. it, was, okay. it was either cut or something. Because so I got the original is... one and was like, "Where's that terrifying scene?" It's not here. So this is interesting because I watched the director's cut. And that scene is in it. And do you know what else is in the director's cut? The crucifixion masturbation. That's in the original. Oh, I was... oh that's in the original yeah. too? Huh. I thought that was yeah. one that was cut. No, no. Uh, Pete, you will you will feel this very deeply watching uh, Haunting of Hill House. Hidden demon faces oh, yeah, that's... are in the director's cut. That's in the original too in um, no, uh, but like The Young Priest. No, but like a lot of them. Oh. Like a Ooh. lot of them. I saw one. I saw one, and I had to look up to make sure that I had seen it and that I wasn't hallucinating it. Mm-hmm. But there's like, yeah, there's the one in that made it into the original cut, and there's like four in the in the director's cut. Whoa. Well, and I think the one the one that I'm thinking of that I had to also like do a stop and be like, wait, did I just see what I thought I saw? It's like there for like an eighth of a second. Yeah. It's not the. It's not in the dream sequence. It's like when she's in the kitchen and like walking yes. towards the camera. Yeah, it's I on think, like the steam hood. Yeah, I think in the director's cut they maybe made it more obvious that it was there, or it's out there for longer, or maybe I have a false memory and I thought I saw it and I didn't. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that was oh. the one that I saw where I was like, wait, I'm not rewinding this. So it wasn't there. <laughs> I, I hadn't seen the full movie, like, from start to finish, so that was kind of, it was a cool opportunity for me to get a chance to be like, okay, this is one of the scariest movies ever made, let's let's watch it in its entirety. And I, I kind of agree, it was more, I found it really unsettling, and I kind of compared it in my mind to kind of, I don't know the genre, but like the very gory, like scary movies that we would see now like your saws your yeah. human centipede where it's just supposed to be like like torture porn that, torture a little porn. bit torture porn and like i think like this almost is like the start of that the um the crucifixion scene the like throwing up just some of the language that's used stuff that i'm like whoa that's uncomfortable for me to hear in 2018 can you imagine if you're sitting in a movie theater in 1970 and you hear this 12 year old kid person out everyone and anyone (laughs) with a scary deep voice like I think I would find it more just like uncomfortable and disturbing than quote-unquote scary Mm -hmm. so if anyone is curious I am obsessed with a Bravo miniseries special that they aired in 2003 called the 100 scariest movie moments uh, if Bravo would release this thing on DVD, I would pay human money for it. <laughs> uh, but they have this—they have the moment where Regan's head turns around, and then she projectile vomits as number three hmm. on their list of scariest movie moments. Uh, I mean, sure. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I mean, 
this list also has the opening sequence of Jaws as number one. So, you know, take it with a grain of okay, salt. Okay, yeah. But <laughs> I, I do think there's something to be said for, for cultural context. But yeah, I, I don't, I am not frightened by this movie. Yeah, yeah. Martha, what you were saying earlier about the, the um, social upheaval dimension, and then, Michelle, what you were saying about, like, hearing the 12-year-old, like, say these things, I think those go very hand-in-hand. Hand. It's like, it 73, it's a lot of youth unrest um, in the U.S., and uh, just unrest in general, and, like, the idea of, like, it, 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 I'm sure it absolutely struck a nerve especially with older generations who were would have been appalled at at seeing and hearing these things and like also the the additional veneer of blasphemy on top of it all um which for us like you know whatever we're all a bunch of agnostic white you know millennial 20 somethings who check none or agnostic on the census data 73 everyone's a christian um so this is hitting a lot harder like those particular cues, even if you're not Catholic. Uh, which does seem like a good segue into one of our discussion questions, which is, um, and we might have talked enough about this, but if, if you guys want to add anything else, how has pop culture changed what's scary or not? Um, or, or like what, what we define of as scary. Um, obviously, community sort of covers that history pretty well. Um, but it doesn't get into what we just were talking about, which is like the torture porn of the, the aughts your was that Eli Roth? One of them? Yes. I actually have a theory about that. Um, so I think you can, you can trace the, uh, the horror, uh, the, um, torture porn stuff back to like 1970s slasher movies. Mm-hmm. But what I really think that Eli Roth specifically is doing, um, because he did Hostel, and he did, not Cabin in the Woods, but a movie about a cabin in the woods with kids. I don't remember what it's called. Um, they get some horrible virus. Um, but, like, the Hostel movies and the Saw movies, I think, are, are very pointedly um, displaying a vision of what their audience finds frightening. And by that, I mean specifically that 18 to 35 movie-going audience that everybody uh, is so desirous of attracting. Also, Sidebar Cabin Fever is the name yep. of the movie I was having trouble remembering. <laughs> of um, course it's called that if they get a virus in their woods. Come on. <laughs> but, like, but, like, if you think about college students who are backpacking across Europe or, like casual drug users or like the these groups of people that are being very pointedly punished in a lot of those torture porn movies i i almost think that the goal was to scare like to make the scares very personal for the audience hmm. like this hmm. is something because to be honest as a, a woman who travels like i'm never going to be possessed by a demon but I could be sex trafficked. So I, I, I feel like there was a shift somewhere to like, we're going to show you a movie that is very much about something that you should realistically be afraid of, which also then gives the main characters in them a chance to defeat the thing that you could very realistically be afraid of. But, but it's like realistically afraid of dialed up to 11 because... Well, not like because this. Because it's a movie. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Because it's a it's horror still a movie. movie. Right. And, and I guess I, I hate all those torture porn movies. Like, I have never... Uh, we, you know, we're, we're talking about, like, things that we find scary. I don't find scary... No, it's ma gross. ...maiming, but I am squicked out by it. No, I don't enjoy that. I do enjoy the sort of subgenre of, like, adventure horror. Like, The Ruins or... The um, Descent. Yeah. That's like, a good one. I also just like a good classic monster movie. Mm-hmm. Which The Descent kind of is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it is sort of a truism of horror, uh, both cinematically and in text, that it reflects whatever the pop culture is currently afraid of. Um, 
you know, in like monster metaphors, but like mm-hmm. how many things have vampires been a metaphor for in, right. over over the years? How many things have zombies been a metaphor for in the year 2010 alone? We did a whole episode on that already. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> um, well, anything else you guys want to talk so, about about how pop culture changed, or do you want to jump into what we personally find scary? Or you are going to suggest something else. No, I was actually going to say, on that note, like, what are the things that we find scary? I've already kind of gotten into it with my, you know, things that that shouldn't move moving. Um. <laughs> yeah, I think um, for me, I kind of, to piggyback off that or to add on to that, I also, I the torture porn, the saw type movies, um, even some of the gross things in the exorcist. I, I don't find that particularly scary. I find it unsettling, but I wouldn't call it scary. What really gets me is, um, when there is some sort of unseen spooky, be it a ghost, be it a predator, be it a something that you can't see, but it's messing with, characters so for me like the the shining was a very like scary like i remember being scared by the movie but even reading the book too i was just sort of like oh i i can't read this at night i need to read this during the day (laughs) um for me the worst part of a horror movie is when the monster appears or the big reveal happens and then oh we find out that that's the chainsaw murderer guy and now the characters have to get away from him then i immediately lose interest i like the the suspense the like the the feeling of adrenaline that you get for me um psychological horror movies are always like my like top one we didn't really talk about it but like a shutter island type of thing Mm -hmm. always get me like take all my money i can watch it once because then once i know what the reveal is it's not as interesting to me anymore but that type of genre and the shining kind of got into it a little bit like that's what i like and that's what i find spooky spooky i also really like psychological horror movies like things where you don't know what's real um and and what's unreal um i i'm not scared by it but i hate unnecessary physical anything like the scene in the exorcist when they're doing like the spinal tap or whatever on reagan and then like she goes in like the ekg machine i'm just like oh i don't uh, no um and uh yeah similarly anything with fingers or fingernails i just can't watch that but that's not a horror thing that's just like a uh you know visceral physical reaction thing um i would like i would like to real quick make a differentiation here between things that I find scary and horror tropes that I enjoy. Totally. Uh, cause because... I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, to me, the, the, the things that are scariest are the, like, the slow build tension. Like, uh, the, the tension. Also, for real, the, um, this can only be done in, in visual medium, but the, uh, Things not there, then suddenly it is often accompanied oh. by a violin. Zing! Uh, okay. Yeah. So, quick sidebar. I, when I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or whatever, I am so freaked out by the trope of somebody looking in a bathroom mirror, opening the vanity, oh closing God, yeah. the mirror, mm-hmm. and having something be in there. I open my vanity mirror, and I do not close it. <laughs> um shapes lurking behind the shower curtain another good one oh. yeah all that stuff i'm like getting like my blood pressure is rising right now <laughs> a camera like, a uh... camera pan a camera pan and having something be there when it comes back around to where it started yeah um i <laughs> yeah. i've been really enjoying in, in hill house they do a lot of focusing on the actor like the the character is looking at something off camera and is reacting to that and that's pretty scary because you can't you don't know what it is but you know something terrible is there and that the fact that you can't see it is like seeing it is bad 
but not seeing it is almost worse. Right. Have you read any of those lists about all of the hidden ghosts that are just yes, in the background? Yes, obviously I did because you sent it to me and I'm not sleeping tonight, so. <laughs> I need to see this show. Oh my god. Because <laughs> I'm talking about it, I'm getting so jealous. It's so good. <laughs> I didn't know what um, on. But yes, like I, I cannot watch Japanese horror films or Korean horror because the ghosts in them are visualized in a way that make me like. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put in the, the sound cue for the fun, grudge kid here. I don't listen to this podcast <laughs> here. Um, but those, that's like scary in a way that makes me physically ill and is not enjoyable. Like there is, there's like the fun scared. And then there is the, I, can't sleep for three weeks because I'm afraid something is going to come into my like bed sheets and eat me kind of scared and like the grudge and the ring are hard hard passes for me even as a even as an adult who understands that ghosts are not real <laughs> I I rewatched the ring two years ago I think and it was real disturbing it's uh, horrifying it's yeah a- it holds up scary it's it's a good scary movie yeah even though it's even one of those where it's like that probably couldn't happen to me but like what if it could well first off never watch a vhs ever again problem solved nowadays if they were to remake it would be like a netflix like the weird catacombs of netflix that you pick a show that you're like this sounds great and then that would be the yeah where the scary demon person comes out of it and i yeah, and I think part of it is that bad sounds for me are very bad. Mm-hmm. And the yes, um, but yeah, that's not fun. Scary for me. That is, I makes me feel like I want to vomit. Kind of scary for me. Sure. Well, that that seems to to lead us well into our final discussion question, which is like, why do we consume this media? Why do we like being scared? Um, Part of this, too, is that uh, last weekend, Martha came up to Milwaukee, and we went on a ghost tour. Um, Michelle has been on other ghost tours throughout Milwaukee, so we're all, at this point, people have gone on ghost tours, like, willingly sought these things out. We go to haunted houses, we um, watch, you know, scary movies, consume scary media. Why do we like doing this? Why do we like doing this? I've never seen Seinfeld. Yeah, that's Um... right. (laughs) My theory is that because this horror is harmless horror and there is always very real life horror happening, Mm -hmm. but this is almost a way that we can vent our feelings of anxiety in a way that isn't harmful or like, like, like when when a, a, when when a broiler is getting too much pressure and you have to, to vent the pressure every, you know, couple hours or something. Yes. Um, also because, and this is not always true, but I find it is always true in horror that I find to be satisfying, but the evil scary thing gets defeated. And then I get to feel really good about the fact that it got defeated. This is also why a lot of the horror that I dislike is the stuff where the bad guy doesn't get defeated. Did you like Cabin in the Woods? I liked it until the very end. Okay, that and that's what i was getting at there yep (laughs) agreed Hmm. um i can i interpret that a little bit more with the scientific um lens that question you had of like why do we as human beings like being scared why is that an emotion that we like why does all the spooky stuff come out well that's a whole other thing for halloween um quick background sidebar i'm a psychology major and when i say that like I'm into this kind of stuff. Like I'll just read psychological journals for fun because I'm really cool. And that's just my, my way of connecting to that part of my liberal arts um, major. But the, I think it kind of goes back to a little bit of being not an adrenaline, adrenaline junkie, but that feeling of adrenaline of your, your heartbeat raising and, your senses being heightened and then the kind of like the relief that comes after that. 
is just something that humans in general like. So that's why, like, I think people will pay human money to go sit in a room, learn about the history of why something is quote unquote haunted or try to communicate with another spiritual thing because that like adrenaline of like, well, maybe, maybe we'll see something or maybe something will appear is enough to, you know, it's like riding on a roller coaster. It's fun. I I agree wholeheartedly with the, the come down after the, the spook. Um, that's a really like in a safe and controlled environment, you know, Martha, like you were talking about, like the, the pressure valve, um, like, if I'm watching a movie where I know nothing can actually be harmful, having that scare, having the adrenaline spike, and then having the come down and being able to, like, laugh about it is, like, that is an objectively, like, pleasurable experience. Um, uh, there's, yeah. there's also always the chance that it's real. Like, we know that it isn't. <laughs> yeah. Like with, with ghost tours, I, I enjoyed that, the, the one we went on because it was mostly a history and then also everyone was like super into it. And I'm like, ghosts might be real. I don't know. They're definitely probably not real here, but it's kind of fun to, to go through it anyway. Um, they could be. They could be. Yeah. I need you guys to come on a paranormal investigation with me because <laughs> they <laughs> actually put out like EVP readers and try to summon whatever spirit there might be. I have actually paid real human money to sit in a dark room at 2 a.m. <laughs> well, and when, so it's one of those that if you're, you know, sitting in a dark room, it's sensory deprivation, like any little kickback of an air conditioner or like traffic going on outside is going to sound so much more loud mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, that had to be something. Um, the one that I went to that is kind of like a funny now joke amongst my friends that went on this with us was 1 a.m. We were at the Milwaukee Theater um, kind of close to where the new Buck Stadium is. And we were in one of the bathrooms, you know, talking to whatever ghost was there, and one of the toilets flushed. No one's there. One in the morning. No one was even by the toilet. Why would it flush? And the rational side of me says, oh, it's probably on a timer or, you know, whatever. But the other side of me goes, we absolutely got it. Had an spiritual encounter like that. That happened. It had to have happened. There's no other rational explanation for it. Ghost yes. is, ha- yes. is hanging out in the the toilets, flushing them, moaning Myrtle. It- <laughs> Maybe it was. Well, uh, you can. Uh, thanks so much for listening. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere else fine podcasts are sold. Please rate and review us and share us with your friends. You can contact us on Facebook or email. Our email is show at homeworkpodcast.com. And you can also get in touch with us via Twitter. We are at DYDYHpodcast. You can find me at... um, on Twitter, at Pico3000. That's P-I-K-O 3000. Martha, how about you? Uh, you can find me pretty much anywhere at Magical Martha. Uh, that's me on all the social media. You can also subscribe to my newsletter at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. Uh, the most recent issue is going to include, well, all of the uh, all the issues I've put out during October have included a book and movie recommendation for feeling spooktacular uh and the current issue is going to include a little bit more of my in-depth thoughts on the chilling adventures of sabrina cool uh michelle thanks so much for being on the podcast with us thanks for having me you guys and is there anything you want to plug anywhere you want people to find you on the internet um, well, I'm laughing a little bit because I do not have a Twitter. I uh, just, that is not a realm that I am interested in being in. Um, I Stay away. Have, Save yourself. I, yeah. As I have. Um, I do have an Instagram, though. Like, come check out cool pictures of my dog. I only post pictures of my dog. He's awesome and adorable. Um, you can find me at mmpatten, P-A-T-T-E-N-07, on Insta.
cool. Joel, just really quick, I have one fast sidebar question for you. Yes. As an educator who works with first and second graders, how realistic did you find Danny to be mm. in The Shining as ah. a five-year-old? So there's a line in um, the book, at least, and it's it's been a hot minute since I've seen the movie. It's probably been a few years, um, which I'm now going to rewatch when I have the time after, you know, everything. Um, where the child like doctor or psychologist or whatever is saying like he's got a very like he's very verbal and he's very intuitive I was you could totally tell for me at least that Danny was written by an adult like some of the stuff the inner monologue where Danny is thinking about something or being like they seem upset they're upset about this maybe that to me is very like kid-like but like the fact that Danny is able to like verbalize most of what he's thinking in some rhyme or reason definitely not the experience in uh my first grade classroom we'll say that much he acts i was a little curious about that i have to half of my day is spent going say that again can you show me what (laughs) why don't you show me honey i'll also preface that i do while i do work with um all sorts of kids. Like I primarily work with kids uh, who qualify for special education. So that might also be clouding my perspective a little bit, but even, even our typically developing first graders. Yeah. Half of what they say is just nonsense. And you're like, okay. Similarly, I'm sure there's a lot of like, why did you do that? What do you mean you don't know why? And and Danny is someone who always knows why he did whatever he's well, doing. And when he even says, I don't know, let me go talk about something else. Like, that never happens. It's always, I don't know. Yeah. That's the end of that. And you're like, yeah, all right. <laughs> cool. Uh, good, good sidebar to end this episode. Our next episode is going to have a bit of a more uh, philosophical framework to discuss. We're talking about memory and sort of the ghosts of memory. Joining us for that next episode is going to be my brother Mark, who has been on the show before. Mark is assigning the graphic novel Here by Richard McGuire. Martha... Uh, surprising no one, is assigning as much of the Haunting of Hill House as you're able to get through between now and the next episode. Uh, Further along is definitely going to be better. Power through till at the bare minimum, the beginning of the sixth episode. Uh, And frankly, just watch the sixth episode. It's an absolute tour de force of filmmaking. Uh, I am assigning Interstellar, which is going to be a controversial choice because I know some people really like the movie and some people really dislike the movie. Look forward to Martha and I fighting next episode. And that's going to do it for this week. Thank you guys so much, and we'll talk to you in two weeks. Class dismissed.